It's the Uninformed Handball Hours, one and only live show at the Women's EHF Final Four. It's Chris O'Reilly here, joined by Brian Campion. Hello, Chris. And we have Alex Kulesh. Just like in January, right here in Budapest, Alex is joining us from another place. This time not locked in quarantine, but locked in Copenhagen because of other work duties. And he'll be joining us in about 10, 15 minutes. But first, we have our special guest joining us from Vipers, Christian San. It's Nerea Pena. Nerea, how are you? <laughs> Hi, hello everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm fine, excited in uh, Budapest. Really waiting for the final four. Now, I've seen you at the final four many times <laughs> in Budapest. Often as an FTC player, mm -hmm. hanging out with the Spaniards, <laughs> having a cerveza or two. Finally, you're here as a player, but unfortunately, uh, with a very severe injury. Knee injury, uh, how's the knee? It's getting better, really slowly. I am struggling still uh, in rehab process, but I have to say that it's, in a way, going it has supposed to. But it's, as you say, I have been here a lot, a lot, so many years. It's nice to be back in Budapest because uh, I was living here a long time. Uh, but I come again as a supporter. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I have a kind of karma on me, or I don't know. <laughs> I, I would like to play, but I can't, but I would support my team, and uh, yeah, I think it's nice just to be here. When you, when you got the injury originally, was that the one of the first things you thought of, that you perhaps won't be able to play at the Final Four? Yeah, it's a kind of injury that has no like an estimate time for rehab, so when I got the injury, my aim was to arrive to Final Four. So I was struggling not only against my injury, not against the calendar, because I was saying like, okay, Final Four is in two months, Final Four is in one month, okay, I will not do it. So uh, yeah, it's more uh, like, a, it was like a name. It was helping me for rehab, but in a way it's also, yeah, for the head it's not so good because I could not do it. But uh, in a way I'm still here. Uh, I'm uh, helping the team in, yeah, from another side. So I'm uh, just like a third coach now. Yeah, maybe you can tell us more about that. We're going to ask like, what, what your role is this weekend. How You have plenty of experience. You're, you are part of the team. How are you trying to support the players this week as best you can? Yeah, as a player, of course, I can do nothing on the field. But uh, I told them before we came here, they asked me to help also because of the language. I talk Hungarian, so it's easier sometimes to arrange everything in Hungarian. So I told them, like, mm, you can ask me what you want. I will be here for you. I'm uh, like kind of... Uh, I don't know how to say, like a chief for the team. Uh, of course, I have not the position, but I will do everything they need to make their best and to perform the best this weekend. How good is your Hungarian? I cannot say. The Hungarians have to say. As good as your English? Uh, I think I speak better Hungarian. Really? Yes. Yeah, cool. I struggle impressive. more with, <laughs> with English. It's not the easiest no. language. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was hard, it was hard, but uh, I was living here for nine years, so mm. in a way I had to, I had to. It's funny, you hear a lot of people living in Hungary and they often don't even try to. Yeah, but I was in a really Hungarian atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, Ferenc Baros is a really Hungarian, Hungarian team with a Hungarian heart, 
And uh, of course, when I came, nobody spoke so good English. I did not speak English as well. So it was a kind of yeah, struggle in the beginning, but it was helpful to learn the language. And I think it's nice to hear from you this weekend because you have some unique insights to most of the teams here. You've played against Mets this season, you played for Esbjerg last season, uh, you've been the arch rival of Jura for many years, and now you're with Vipers. So it'd be nice to get a, a bit of a few words on each of the teams from your own perspective, but I think it's, uh, it would be remiss of us not to talk about Vipers first, and this has been your first season with the team. And you have been around, you've been playing in Spain, in Hungary, Denmark, and now Norway. What makes the, this team and their culture so different and special in comparison to what you've experienced in your career? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really different. It's, uh, yeah, I was in SBR uh, last year as a first Scandinavian country. Then this is my first like, season in a team, in a Scandinavian team. And uh, yeah, it's different. So the, I come from Spain, of course. Uh, I was living in nine years in Hungary, so I half Hungarian as well. So this it was a huge change for me in culture, in uh, yeah, weather, of course, important, <laughs> light, light in the in the sky, <laughs> things that makes your life different. But I have to say that uh, in sport, that is why I came to Norway. It's been great. Uh, we have a fantastic team. It's uh, one of the things I, why I came to Norway is a dream team for me. We are like uh, all the school players, I would say, the people against I have played for a long time. And it was for me a dream just to play with them. Unfortunately, I could not. But still, being inside is really amazing. To see them, to be in the final four, I think we have show everyone that the kind of things we can do on field. But of course, this is the weekend, this is the key. Everybody's fighting for this. And if I go a little bit more like to the other teams, in my opinion, I think this is from the last five, six years maybe, the toughest Final Four. Uh, the one which the level is quite similar from all the teams. I think SBR has made a really great season uh, this, uh, this, in this uh, season. Uh, Mets had, of course, had been twice for us. I can say what, for our, what I see from them. They have been uh, really good in, during the whole season. And year, this year, of course, they, as always, they were first in the group day and here. I think we are really in a similar level. Um, if you ask me for who I will bet now, I cannot choose. Of course, I will bet Vipers, but, <laughs> but I cannot choose. It's a time that I don't, I don't have any favorite for this Final Four. Do you think that loss, the Gior loss in the Hungarian Cup, and have made the other teams sit up and think, oh, maybe, as you said, it's a lot more even this year than other years? Or was it before that you were even thinking along those lines? I don't think so. For me, I think uh, Hungarian League, Hungarian Cup, and Final Four is a different thing. This is a weekend. Even if your season was not so good, you come here and can be another history. So, of course, now everyone is questioning year because they lost the cup. But I think for them, this is the Final Four. You are, you are now fighting to win the, the title of the whole season. It's not only about the last weekend. So, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. And your girls won it last year, coming into this as the defending champions. Was there much talk among the players that were there last season as to what exactly went so right for them? Because it, you said it's a, it's a weekend in itself. There are some magic ingredients that make a team come out on top. Uh, is that something that's been discussed even in the build-up to this, to try and replicate that in some way? Uh, not in the last days. I think in the last day we were more focusing about this year, but we have been talking about what happened last year, how was the, the Final Four, and all of them, they agreed about it was something special about this weekend. Of course, on quarterfinals, they did a great job against Rostov that now one specked, 
Uh, but they came here and they were also an, as, as an spectator. It was also a surprise for me to see the performance they did last year. They played great for me, well-deserved uh, gold medal. And they say that it was something special, like uh, something it was good, everything was working, the team was there together. And they want, of course, the same for this year. And I think in, the difference is like this season has been more normal. COVID was last year, so it had been an up and downs. This year it was more regular. So this year is more, I think, my opinion about uh, preparing the matches, the performance from whole, the whole season that has been really... We had some ups and downs, but not big ones. And we were quite stable during the whole season. But of course, we come here knowing that we have been beat by Mets twice. We come here in the most important match, that is the semi-final, and we need to prepare really good this match to change the last uh, results. I think probably a good point to ask then about Mets. Uh, without giving any secrets away, mm -hmm. what, what will change then? Uh, I think it will be more about preparation. We really will prepare the match in another way. Uh, it did not work the, last, the first two matches, but we will try to make some things probably different that uh, is going to be probably, yeah, it's going to change some part of the game. So this is what we want to do. I think every player seems to have a different opinion on this, so I'm interested to hear yours, the mental aspect of these prior games. And I think it also comes into factor for Dürer, uh, but for Mets now, you played them twice this season, two losses, does that matter really? Like when it comes to the game tomorrow, when it's, you know, 45 minutes gone and it could be a draw at that point. Do things like that matter, do you think, to, to the team as a whole? Or is it purely like, you know, last season, most of these players were part of the team that won the title. They were fifth in the group. They came out of the depths of hell to win the championship. So maybe none of this really does matter. I think it's individual. So for, for some players can be in the brain, for some they are like over that. The good thing about our team, we have so much experience from all the players. So they have been in a lot of situations like that. So I'm not worried. I hope we will be in the last 45 seconds with uh, a ball in our hands because I know we will do it. I really trust on that. In another team, I, I can have another experience about this, but in this one, it's totally the opposite. It's more about performance, my opinion. I think we will have to run the game or we will have to be in control and then it's going to be nice. If we have a critical situation, I'm sure we will do it. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a, a bit about uh, Oli uh, Gekstad as a coach. Um, what was it like first getting to know him and working with him compared to other coaches that you've worked with in the past? It has been a big change. Mm -hmm. uh, in a way, it's more calm. I'm used to have a more... Uh, <laughs> Temperamental coaches. <laughs> so in the way, I in a way, it's, it's nice. But I'm also a temperamental player. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it has been changed. But the good thing about Ule is you can really talk to him. And I like to talk, as you say, a lot. <laughs> so it's nice because you can really communicate. He's open to listen, to hear. So uh, that's also important, especially as, you, as I told you before, with experienced player who has a lot of ideas, who has a really uh, tactical mind, is really, really nice. And it's, it's been a big transition in the team this year as well. I mean, players left like Kenny Resta, who was so important last year, uh, Emilia Hegarnson as well, Mola Naona, and then you brought in the experienced heads like uh, you and, and Bella. And I mean, it seems like, just looking on paper, that... Uh, the players who've been able to play the whole season, 
who have come in have really contributed. So it's been nicely spread out, mm -hmm. the team. There's not too much of a focus on, on certain players. And the style has changed in some way. How, how much work was that at the beginning to, to make that happen? It, like, it's a completely different Vipers team in some ways. Yeah, it has been a, a really big job. Because, as you said, a lot of players change. And not only players, if not uh, nationalities. We mm. have come a lot of foreign players as well. So the first thing that changed in the club has been the language. They have been talking in Norwegian until now, and now we speak in English. So mm. I also feel that for them this is a big change, even if they speak perfect English, of course. But it's uh, also a kind of change, because yeah, when you are in a situation where you have to a critical situation, yeah, the, the words come differently in English than in your own language, of course. So uh, it has been a process. In the beginning, also in the field, you could feel that we struggle, in a way. But this is the way when you change players in, in a team. It has to be a process. You cannot buy players and wait that the success will come. It's, uh, this is humble. It's a sport. It's about job. And I think we have been working really good. We have been working, as you say, as a team. That's maybe what was the difference with some other teams, that we really play as a team. If somebody is missing, there is another one who is ready there. We have a really, really long squad, so we are there for the same objective, is the team, and is to be here and try to get the title. So a completely different kind of situation when you went to the FTC, where you didn't know English or Hungarian, and you had to kind of find your own way, and then you come into this team now, and you feel like maybe you don't need to learn Norwegian, or do you, or do you, do you give it a go as well? I have a, I have a really big... Uh, inside fight with myself because I really want to learn Norwegian but I did not put energy also my injury was uh, yeah, in the between but I really want to learn Norwegian but I didn't start so it's my fault I say I always ask for I ask pardon to everyone because yeah <laughs> it's bad I know but we do have a question from someone on Twitch here and they're asking um, what Hungarian food do you miss oh a lot I love Hungarian food so uh, one of my favorite food in Hungary was the turtle paprika. It's uh, a paper um, with meat inside and paprikas uh, and uh, paper sauce. Oh, I, I love, love it. Peppers. Yes, they have also turtle kaposta is with cabbage, but this I don't like it. I like it with the paper. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And the Norwegian food? You found? Yeah, I have to say that I uh, they they have some typical Norwegian food, but uh, I have not been in a typical restaurant. But I like they eat a lot of lamb, and I love lamb. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and yeah. Fish, fish. Yeah, for salmon, I eat. Yeah, yeah. I have yeah. salmon like for breakfast as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I prefer the lamb. Yeah. yeah. Now let's uh, let's move on a bit to the the other teams uh, that you have some experience with. Uh, I think we could start with Viper or not with uh, with Esbjerg. Yep. You were there last season. Yep. Um, a few changes to that team as well. Yep. Uh, I think one of the things that always stands out for me is how they managed to stay so strong with so few players. Yeah. It's been like 12 players all this season. Uh, I think they have 14 with them this weekend. <laughs> um, so what is the, I mean, do you have an insight to what the thinking is there? I mean, I'm guessing budget has a part to play, but also Jesper seems to have a lot of trust in the players that are there, that they'll get the job done. Yeah, uh, I cannot speak about budget because I don't know that. But uh, I know that they have been playing with yeah with a really short squad for a long time. The reason I don't know, but what is you can see or everybody can see that it's working because they are here this year. Uh, the difference from last year and this year, yeah, the last year the tendency of the team was not so good. When I arrived there, we I was the number twelve, so we they have been eleven players. I was number twelve. 
because they had they had some uh, big injuries. Uh, this year, I think they were more quite more stable. They have been losing one or two players, but they they have been keeping, and the level of the team has been really high. I told them like last time. I think they well deserved that they are here because they have played a really amazing season. Yeah, it's different. I think sometimes it's not only about uh, yeah the team can be similar. They have. They had some change, but no big change. The base of the team is almost the same. But uh, sometimes you cannot fight against the tendency. When sure. a season goes wrong, it's like, of course, you fight to make it better. But sometimes last year, it was one, two goals. It was not like you lost by 15 and okay. No, it was, it's like when you throw the coin, sometimes it's like, or you go you, no. with you or against you. But this season is well-deserved they're here. I think they will be a big fighter against you tomorrow. Talk to us a bit about Henny Reistad, maybe, because I think she's a player, and yeah. it's obviously on everyone's lips, and she's probably one of the most informed players in the world at the moment. <laughs> what's, what's she doing so, so right or so well? Yeah, I think she's running good, the team. Uh, she has a, a brain, and physically now, I agree with you. She's one of the, more, the best performing players in, right at the moment. And uh, yeah, uh, going to, to SBR and running and taking the responsibility, yeah, I think this was a really big, a good sign. I told them last year when they signed her, I said, I think you are bringing a great player. It's really important for them, especially when they don't have a big squad, but they have a, a good performance player in the moment. And yeah, of course, for them, it's really important. And this weekend, she will also show how she can run the team. It seems like what you were saying is there, they, there was the potential there already last season from what you saw. A lot of the games were incredibly close. They, they always seemed to drive. Like, Esbjerg, I remember watching, particularly last season, the games were hilarious because... You never wanted to seem to win a game by four or five goals or lose a game by four or five goals. There was always like ebbs and flows that might have been with the squad as well. Uh, but the, the potential to get the final four was clearly there. Is that something that you felt at the time? Yeah, I, I have to say I did not follow all the matches because I have been injured and I have my time off as well. But what I have seen from them, it was really good. Yeah, I think uh, they have been fighting against really great teams during the whole season. They have been first in the group, that, that means something. And especially in the quarterfinals, that they were really close there. In the moment they have to be, they have to be. So that, that's also the teams for me that they deserve to be here. Not only the ones who play great and make everything easy and they buy players and they play well. No, no, no. Also the teams who really are fighting and struggling and then still they can get it. That's also why I think they, they are here well deserved. Of course you've Huge experience with playing against Gjör, and I think when everyone thinks of a Final Four in Budapest, often Gjör is the first team that comes to anyone's mind. And you probably know Andrew, Ambrose Martin pretty well yourself. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Only a little bit. So, what is it about Gjör that, what, what, what's the secret sauce? The secret first to hire the best players like <laughs> from over Europe, so that can be something. <laughs> the budget as well can be something. So no, but also that of course uh, Ambrose is a great coach. I always say that for me, he has been the best coach in my career. He runs uh, really good uh, the team. He knows where to put how. To, I uh, I mean uh, the experience is also a, a plus on them. Uh, but I think uh, that they have a really great uh, team. And also there is something that they is always playing with them to play at home. They play home. They have the full hall with them. They have great supporters as well. So this is also yeah something that they count with. But uh, this year maybe they have, hum ha they have had some ups and downs. For example, what you talk about the, the cup and everybody can say, like, oh, they are not ready for Final Four. I don't think like that. I think uh, that uh, Final Four is different. It's uh, some spirit inside this weekend that uh, make, will make everything different. 
So what do you do against your... You played them for nine years. What, what do you do? <laughs> I have lost, I think, the 85 or 90 percent of the matches, so I don't know if I am the best to talk about that. <laughs> but yeah, it's also something special in the Hungarian League between Ferenc Varos and Jör. So it was also like, a it was always like a final for the final, for, like, yeah, like a really final for us. Uh, you have to prepare the, the match. Uh, they have three yeah, fantastic goalkeepers as well, so this is a little bit difficult to prepare with, against, sorry. But uh, the key now, yeah, SBR has to really make a great team. I think also depends on, yeah, I don't want to say so loud, but they also depends a lot of the goalkeepers. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if they are there inside, uh, then it's really difficult. It's going to be hard to win against them, but they need goalkeepers. Is there a automatic kind of mental advantage for your whenever they play against teams i mean is that something you felt with ftc i know it was as you said a special derby every time you face them but knowing that whatever 85 90 percent of the time that they've beaten you is it is it something hard to get over it can be a good yeah it can be a good thing but it can be a bad because when they are always the favorite the ones who is playing against them is like, okay, we don't have absolutely anything to lose. They are the ones who are always like, it's a, sometimes it's a big uh, drama when they lose a match. That's sorry, this is a sport you can, I think it's also more productive when you lose sometimes and then you learn from where you lose. When you win everything, it's not a kind of boring, but it's a kind of hard to make yourself better. So I think uh, it can be sometimes negative for them as well. To play home is good, but it can be bad. Yeah, I guess... Well, if there's one team here that has nothing to lose, it's Esbjerg as the newcomers. Totally, so, yes. Yeah. They are newcomers. They will play against Jör. Everybody said Jör is coming from a big loss in the league, so why is the moment to beat them? But Jör is in the opposite. We lost this. We have to win this final four. Mm. So, of course, it's going to be a big fight. Yeah. You talked there quickly about the, the goalkeepers. Is it possible to win a final four without having a major goalkeeping performance? Because it seems like every single final four you go to, Every team who will lift the trophy in has one of the keepers has an absolutely incredible performance. My answer is not. I think you need a goalkeeper. Yeah. That's well, you need opinion. a goalkeeper, but a good performance from yeah. a goalkeeper. <laughs> you need someone in the goal. <laughs> no, you really need a good performance for the goalkeeper. Yeah. That's my opinion. Of course, the team is yeah, counting. They need to defend. They need, but without a goalkeeper, I think you cannot win the trophy. But that's my opinion. I okay. cannot make a... Yeah, it's my opinion. Well, I think you've already been very generous with your time for someone who hates media. <laughs> Absolutely hates media. Not hates, no. but yeah. You know my opinion. It's nice so to talk with you guys. Yeah, yeah. We try to make it really nice. less, uh, less stressful. Uh, we won't ask you for a prediction because that would be unfair. But we have, unless you want to give one. We will win the final. You'll win I the final. I will say my prediction. That's so. my, has to be my prediction. So. In that case then, who... Do you feel will be the MVP for Vipers at this weekend? Lunde, Katrine. I bet on my goalkeeper. There I you bet go. on that. I have to. Knock but we bet here. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Right, Tenya, thank yeah. you very much. Thank you very much. It's a you pleasure too. to have you, and hopefully we'll see you back in the court sooner rather than later and on a court in Budapest. Thank you very much. I hope that. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now we're going to replace Nerea with a even more beautiful guest, if it's, uh, if it's even possible, in Alex Kulesh. And uh, I have 
producer Clement's pointing at something saying, we'll be right back. So, we'll be right back. <laughs> Start the show. Hit the ground running, hit the ground running. Hit the ground running, hit the ground running. Yeah, now bring the action. Ooh. Come on. Now, 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 now. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Now, 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 now. Give it to me. And we are back, joined by Alex Kulish from Denmark. Hi, Alex, how are you? How are you boys? Are you getting good me? to uh, join? Are you getting actually? Uh... <laughs> yeah, we left you waiting there a little bit, Alex, didn't we? <laughs> it was a great show. I, I watched along, so uh, I got the live experience. So uh, all good. Good stuff. Uh, how does it feel to once again in Budapest to be on the outskirts? I think I'm quite used to it now, but. Uh, you know, we, we've worked it out. Let's, I, I've just accepted that Budapest isn't the place for me. No. So I'll, I'll stay on the outside. But good news is, and we mentioned it on the podcast on Wednesday, that you will be in Cologne live in person. And uh, people are going to get a lot of you on the Home of Handball Twitch channel in Cologne. So uh, get used to that beautiful face because you're going to see it a lot. But uh, we got you for, I don't know, we'll do about 45 minutes or so. We'll see. Who knows? We always say we'll do things for like an hour, then it turns into two hours. So uh, that depends on how much we know about these teams. We were already given a nice insight into uh, most of the teams, actually, there from Norea. Uh, any takeaways there, Alex, from what you heard from Norea? Um, I, I think, again, I, I fully agree that it's completely open. Um, we talked about the men's side and how we can't pick an underdog. I also can't really pick an underdog in this uh, final four. Um, four strong teams. The matchups, um, I, I don't know if they make too much of a difference. I, I think anyone can beat anyone, so I'm pretty excited to see it. Can you pick an underdog between uh, these four teams? What do you think, Brian? I think it's very difficult. Um, I mean, on the one side, you could probably look at Esberg being here for the first time, but then they have probably the, Henny Rice that probably one of the best players in the world at the moment and one who can really win a game on her own almost. So it's hard to put them in that role. I think Mets are maybe, a, because they didn't play at the quarterfinal, maybe a little bit more of an unknown quality when we, when we came to the knockout matches. So you could possibly make a case there. But then again, they've Grassadi coming back in, who's, who's a massive uh, boost to their squad. And then, of course, you can't put Gure in the underdog position. And who do we've left? Vipers. Vipers. Yes, of course, Vipers. <laughs> the defending champions, the defending Vipers, champions, a classic underdog. I mean, you can't have the defending champions as the underdog. So it's uh, at a push, maybe Esberg, just because of lack of experience. But hmm. then again, past Final Fours, men's and women's lack of experience doesn't really mean anything. If we think back to 2016 with CSM Bucharesti as well. Hmm. Um, so it's really, really exciting. And I'm really looking forward to it. And I don't know where we should exactly start, unless you have an underdog, an underdog Chris. Maybe for Chris, a question for you then, if we can't pick an underdog, who do you pick as a favourite? I think it has to be Jure, right? And I would, I would put Esbjerg as the slight underdogs in this one because they're newcomers and because they're facing Jure in the semi-final. But there isn't much in it. It's not like, 
you know, the seasons in the men's competition where you had like Flensburg coming out of nowhere to win it, Vardar winning it, Kielce winning it. I think if, if any team wins it this weekend, we've learned now that it's not really a big surprise, but the most unexpected of those four would have to be Esbjerg, but not because of the players they have. I think the players they have are good enough to win the title. One in particular, our unofficial player of the year last year, uh, Henny. But I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe we, we can go through the four teams, like you said. Um, yeah, let, let's let's start with uh, Vipers. So we, we talked quite a bit about Vipers with Nerea. But there's, I suppose, one interesting fact is that this is the last season for Nora Merck at this club, uh, as well as Bella Gilden. Um, do you think that that brings a bit of extra passion for those players to kind of round up their careers or it doesn't make any difference? I feel for the two of them probably it doesn't make too much difference. I mean, because Nora did it last season with Vipers and Bella, it's like it's a one and done for her. So she's she's been at the club this season. She's going to Lund next season, but that's because of family reasons. So, I mean, they're kind of as Norea was saying, they're, they're a bunch of really like old heads in, a, in the best possible way. They're very experienced players. They all know how to win this competition and they all know how to, how to deal with these weekends in general. So I think they, they won't try to find any extra or external motivation from somewhere um, and just like for the sake of it. I think they know what they need individually and what they need as a team to to win it. So there'll be no like uh, over uh, egging that emotional aspect. I reckon. Oh, I don't know, Chris. Mm. I think you're you're you you're going to be the emotional one. Oh here. yeah, I'm yeah. pure emotion. I think <laughs> Bella Goldin probably had the argue, probably from an argument's sake the most outstanding performance out of women's final four. One of yeah. them anyway. With her, oh god, I shouldn't have started this sentence. Sixteen goals. Sixteen goals. That's yeah. it. Yeah, with her sixteen goals in the in the in the final <laughs> back in 2016. <laughs> and. Uh, and I think it's, it's her swan song, and I think she's going to be going back into the Swedish league. Of course, she most likely anyone will ever see her at their final four again. Um, so I think there was that little bit extra something there for her. And Nora Mork, yeah, I suppose you're probably right there. She doesn't need any more mo- extra motivation from what she's, all, what, she, what she's been through over the years. You don't need to mot- motivate Nora Mork to get up and play, play a game of handball. So I half agree with you, Chris. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's take talk about their route. So Viper's route to the final four. Um, I don't think there's much to talk about in terms of their league this year. They've basically they've been unbeaten in Norway with just one draw, kind of filtered into uh, their league campaign. So they they've wrapped up the home championship. Uh, but uh, have they impressed you on their journey throughout the Champions League this year, Chris? Well. I think something important to mention as well on this on their journey is, is also what they did last year because it was so remarkable. And just a reminder, they played away for more than half the season because of COVID. So they didn't play a home game since December 2020. They went on this incredible European tour in February 2021 and then had to beat Odense and Rostov to get to the Final Four and then won the Final Four at a, a bit of a canter. And so that itself was an incredible journey. And so there was, at the, the background of all of that was there was going to be this huge change in the team. So I think in that sense, there was more of a like swan song feeling to the team 
last year because the original, the OG crew, were, were going to be moving on and there was going to be this international field that Nerea t uh, spoke about. So in that sense, I think that's an important thing to mention for this year. And what did impress me about the team this year in their path is that they managed to integrate the players so well to play this different style of handball. And I thought they would struggle a little bit uh, with the, the players they had, but everyone's really stepped up. And you just have to look at it on paper. And you have players like uh, Bela Gulden, Marketa Yerubkova, Anna Debelic, who all came in and contributed like 40, 50, 60 goals to the team. And that's, that shows just how well they were integrated into the squad. And I think that, in that aspect, finding the new stars in the team, or the team being the star, has been the most impressive thing for this this squad this season because they haven't relied on uh, as few players as they did last year. I mean, Nora Merck, for example, had has probably had her best scoring season ever, but she she wasn't relied upon so much to do that. She just, I guess, had the, the opportunities to score so much. She's had a fantastic season. And uh, Ragnil Dahl as well, who was kind of a surprise package of the Final Four last season. She's come in with 62 goals this, uh, this campaign at left back. So, yeah, they've really they've found a whole new way to play as a team, and that's been the most impressive thing for me. They've had some setbacks. They lost those two games against Mets, but still managed to finish second in the group ahead of Mets, which was really important in the end. And then they had that kind of wildcard quarterfinal against Krim, and uh, they dealt with that amazingly. They absolutely smashed them. So in that sense, yeah, I think they've been very impressive in how they've transitioned as a team and still managed to come back to the Final Four as champions, which we know from history is really, really difficult to do. Because I think a team who's won it in the past, or sorry, won it last season, for, um, and the easy thing to do would be to stick with the, the players you had and, and the, the exact same squad and go for it again. But I think it's sometimes a team that keeps its core but brings a few, a few new fresh legs and a few new fresh faces in, it's a lot more dangerous that than when you kind of Stick or lay on your laurels and stick to what you had in the last season. Yeah. Uh, I'm just getting a bit distracted there. Is Mickey there, Alex? Is your dog Mickey for the first time in his life barking? So that, that was my dog who was barking in his sleep uh, right <laughs> behind me on this couch. So I, I don't think you can see him, but I, I had to mute myself very quickly there to, uh, to wake him up from uh, chasing rabbits or whatever he is doing that's, in his dreams. That's remarkable because I've met Mickey loads of times and he's the most calm and quiet dog you'll ever meet. Yet the one time he's live, <laughs> he has to bark in his sleep. But uh, yeah, did you manage to, to focus on what we were saying? Saying there, I, I did. So I, I think one interesting thing to focus on as well is um, so Vipers basically they got their wild card into the quarterfinal um, and dealt with Krim uh, very easily. And then building on top of that as well, we can say that you know their league campaign hasn't challenged them too much, which means that their last you know, properly competitive game was that uh, round 14 game of the group stage against Dior, uh, which they won, which was an impressive performance, big win, 30-29. But that was on the 19th of February. So do you think that has any effect on this team basically not facing too much competition in the last three months? 
I, I think the way they managed last season and how wild that was, having a big break and then playing so many games in quick succession, like, I think they, they're more than used to having an abnormal campaign and with the players they have as well. I, I think actually they probably would have enjoyed not having a tough game for quite a while. So in that sense, I, I don't think they're too bothered by that. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think so too. I think any other team, you might say, yeah, they need, need to be a bit more battle-hardened, but that Vipers, that Vipers uh, team, they, as you said, with players like Norm Ork maybe need a bit of a rest coming into a weekend like this. Yeah, and I, I kind of agree with that. I think a rest is good for them, and I think a player like Norm Ork is going to take every single game seriously. She's not going to lapse at all, which means that she'll also drive the team and make sure that the team isn't relaxed going into uh, that first semi-final. So I think it could be an advantage. But let's move on to um, the team they'll be facing in that first, uh, well, it's the second semi-final of the day, and that's Mets. So as opposed to um, uh, Vipers, Mets have just won the French Cup final where they beat uh, Brest in a two-legged affair. Uh, really close games where uh, they lost the first leg against Brest 26-24 and then won 25-22. So they've had a bit of competition there. and uh, But kind of like Vipers, they haven't played a game in the Champions League at all since, <laughs> uh, <laughs> since the group stage. Um, oh. What do you think, Brian? How does that route affect them? God, you're really selling these uh, teams, Alex. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, again, I, I think when it comes down to a final weekend like this, I don't think it really matters too much. But I do think Mets will be coming in with a certain amount of momentum, having won their as a 24th title at this stage. Um, so they're going to be feeling good. And of course, with the addition of Grass Eddie, who's one of the best players in the world, and I think one of your favourites, Alex, if I remember correctly, we had a debate a few podcasts ago when you were trying to hammer home her as player of the year. So having a player like coming in like, like her, and she's also obviously played in Mets before, so she knows the team and knows how they work. That's a, that's a massive boost. And just the backcourt they have generally as well is just one of the most dynamic backcourts you'll have with Grass Eddie, uh, Bruna De Paula in there, who we've had many conversations over the years about, is probably one of the best one-on-one <laughs> players who we've had confirmed by a very, very famous female handball player. We, we did talk about this in the podcast after. We did. Uh, Anna Gross, who uh, challenged me at the, the final evening of the Final Four in this very hotel last year, um, <laughs> asking, yeah, who the best one-on-one player is. And uh, I needed to deliver the correct answer, I think, to uh, have any, any hope of reconciling after I was asked who the better defender is, the most ridiculous question in the world, is it Anna Gross or Nora Merck? And uh, yeah, Bruna de Paula was the, the correct answer in her eyes. And yeah, it's hard to, to argue. At times she is incredible and it's really exciting to see her in this Final Four for the first time. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, then you have a player like No Candy, who is one of the up-and-comers in the world of handball. So she's just another super super dynamic one against one so it's a very very athletic backcourt there with uh, it's just an absolute headache for them any middle block when you've those three players coming down the middle and uh, Louise Burgard as yeah. well who 
as, as, player, as self, self-confessed like headless chicken in that regard. <laughs> just like <laughs> sometimes just closes her eyes, gets ready to be hit hard and then throws the ball as hard as she can. Um, so <laughs> when you're facing players like that, all very different players, but in the backcourt, uh, it's going to be difficult to deal with. Yeah, I remember you? she said in an interview one time that she finds it very difficult to find photos of herself with her eyes mm. open because often she's just... Throwing the ball with her eyes closed. Yeah. And, uh, that was an interview yeah. with me. Oh, that was an yes. interview with you. There you go. Look, I do read your stuff, Chris. <laughs> so, so I think Grassetti is, you, you said it, I think she's the absolute key here. Uh, it's a huge wild card for them to just kind of receive, get a player like that land on their doorstep going into the latter stage of the season. So that's incredible for Mets. And the way you're talking about it, she seems like the perfect player because she's she's an orchestrator. She can manage a game. She can, you know, look at the strengths around her and make sure that they're being utilized. So with a couple of headless chickens and a couple of dynamic players around her, the one player that I believe that can manage that and kind of take it to a, a great level is Grass Addy. Um, I, I, I just... I really can't comprehend exactly how much of a difference she will provide in this um yeah in this final four do you think I just, just just having her is good enough Yeah just a question back to you then because at the start you said that it's, you feel it's very even do you think that the addition of a player like Grass City back into Mets has in your head made, made the whole thing a lot more even that if you take her out then maybe you think oh maybe Mets don't have enough to do it Yes and no. We have to remember that Mets did beat Vipers twice in the group stage without Grassetti. Um, I, I, I don't know. For me, it's it's more that it, Grassetti joining them actually puts them on a favorite level for me. So kind of to puts them a step further and potentially above uh, the other team. So I have... I don't know. I, I have a lot of faith in this Mets team. Mm. When you have to give the the whole Mets club and uh, Emmanuel Mayanad a lot of credit as well for how they've transitioned in the last two years, basically. Because last year they were kind of no-hopers in a way. They were out of the running, really, in the Champions League and got absolutely sma- uh, spanked in the quarterfinals. But they've managed to use pretty much the same squad and then, you know, throw in Grassadi as well and look like real contenders. So they took their beatings last year, they, knowing that it was part of a bigger thing, knowing they didn't have the players to really compete last year, but they were going to use them and build them up. And they've done that really well. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Nokandi no has been an absolute star uh, this year. So she has 73 goals in the competition for them. Um and she's actually moving on next season. Um, so another swan song, I think, in terms of no candy. Uh, I think we'll see her around for many years to come, but uh, maybe a little little extra motivation there. And Grassetti, who's likely, I think she said earlier on that she was, uh, was going to leave at the end of the season. I think her destination is unknown, but uh, great that she was able to, to come back and kind of say goodbye to the team as well, because she left for Rostov uh, during the COVID time. So she didn't get to actually finish that season. 
So it's a nice little uh, yeah. bonus chance for her. Everything's all these you know, swan songs. It's all these swan songs. It's a nice story either way. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm trying not to, to feed too much. We're into trying it. to build narratives. Yeah, I know. Here. There's so We're many narratives. narratives. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have the box of tissues at the, at the final whistle after we'll be crying <laughs> our eyes out of all these swan songs. But yeah, I think um, a, a key player for just before we move on from Mets, I think is probably uh, uh, Kap- Kaptanovic. I think yeah. she could be, or she has to be, uh, or she has to have a big weekend if they're going to have any chance of, of doing it. And we've seen glimpses of that during the season when she had that huge last 16 performance when she rank, racked up 16 saves. Um, so they'll need her in there. Because they ha- they are lacking uh, Sacco, of course, who was injured, and she's been a big player for them uh, earlier on the season. So it's kind of a lot, a lot more pressure on, on uh, Kaptanovic's shoulders now this time out. So we need you need her firing on all cylinders. Mm. I agreed. Uh, mm. Just as Norea said, you can't can't win it without a really good goalkeeper performance. And uh, they're I mean, both goalkeepers they have are capable, but Kaptanovic is going to be the one they they really rely on. Maybe let's move on to um, Team Ashbrook as the newcomers. We did talk about it a little bit. Uh, their route um, has been quite smooth in the Champions League. They they have uh, 15 wins and one loss uh, so far in the season. So very impressive from Jesper Jensen and that whole team throughout the season. But for them, talking about their league... Uh, they haven't had as good of a time as Mets. So they just finished the Danish League final playoff uh, against Odense, where they came out uh, as losers. So they won the first leg, uh, sorry, they they lost the first leg 31-27, then came back at home and really pushed it and won 35-28 against Odense, leading us into a a third leg and the crucial playoff game where Odense won 25-24. Eshberg are going to be heartbroken because of that. Going into this Champions League final, I think we saw the effects of um, a loss like that in the European League men's final where Visa Plots didn't seem like they recovered going into that final round. Is that going to affect Team Eshberg? I, I don't think in the same way. I think there's a big difference between the European League and the Champions League Final Four. Particularly when it's your first one. And from hearing the Danes here, they just seem so delighted to be here. I think as, probably as soon as they realize, yeah, okay, we lost that final, but we're going to Budapest and we're going to take on Jure in the semi-final, that they, they must have gotten over it pretty quickly. I, I, can't, I can't imagine that will have will leave too much of a hangover effect on them. It, it could, but they've, it's also not a new thing to lose that final uh, in the Danish league. And it probably won't cost them a Champions League place next season, like it cost Płock. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like they're just, they, they are coming into this as newcomers and are really like hyped to be here. So I think that's going to override any disappointment even though the game was only on tuesday right that that last final game yeah so, so it's not a big turnaround so, I, I give you that exactly so it's this not a big turnaround this semi-final is going to be their fourth game in 10 days yeah. we're talking uh european cha- championship level 
stress levels uh, for the physicality of this team. That's going to be tough. And especially if they do win the semifinal and go into the final, they're, we're talking about five games in 11 days and all of these at the highest intensity. Yeah. And that, that's going to be the issue then with the squad size. And that's something that has always been an issue with Esbjerg. It looks like the 14 players they have is going to be the strongest squad they've had all season. And the thing is, if they're all fit, if there's no like knock-on effects from that Danish league final, then I think they'll still be okay. Another thing to bear in mind for this season and the whole journey is there is a bit of uh, controversy with Estevan Apolman, who came back from injury and was part of the squad, but was on the bench for you know a few months. And then she left in, in, in fairly like... Uh, scandalous is maybe too strong a word, but there was there was a lot of news about it. You know, uh, she spoke out about it, and you know the the truth of what exactly happened there is probably somewhere in between what she was saying and what the club is saying. But that was a, another potentially key player who was out of the squad. But if the fourteen they have are all fit and uh, and firing on all cylinders, then yeah, I think any. Anything that happened on Tuesday, they'll be able to put behind them mentally. Physically is another thing, but mentally, I think that uh, you're just gonna you're gonna be different for the final four in Budapest. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope for their sake. I hope yeah. so. Uh, but uh, I was reading a very interesting article on yourhandball.com last night. Um, Julian Rooks from Handballytics has done a, a breakdown of all the teams and what they are coming into this weekend with in terms of statistics. And he had a very interesting statistic about Team Esberg that they play the second longest attacks in the Champions League over the whole season with an average of 33.6 seconds per uh, first shot taken. And I don't know if that's something to do with having such a small squad where they're thinking, oh, we don't want to be running up and down too much here. Let's slow down the attack a little bit. And if we're going to see that even more this weekend, really long, dragged out attacks. I think so. Yeah, that was a question. It was a question. I didn't finish the. <laughs> right. I just see on the screen here. There's some some long comments. I, they could be questions as well. Uh, but I'm too blind. So maybe you can figure out what that said, and then after I'll give my answer, and then and you can give these questions. Ah, oh, look at that. I think oh, those, it's gone those into are full, some uh, full, full size. Thank you, Clements, here to save the day yet again. Uh, fans of our live shows in January will remember Clements as the uh, yeah sometimes. The villain, sometimes the hero of the live shows. At the moment, I think the amount of running around he's doing, definitely the hero. Um, and it's got nothing to do with... Uh, oh, well, here, yeah. Exciting to see if Dürer's defense will be able to stop Reista. Uh, Viborg did a pretty good job in the semi-final of the Danish League. Obviously, Odense did enough to uh, beat them in the, the final. You were talking about the length of the attacks. Mm. And I think that is very interesting, considering we have Henny Reistat in the center of that. And we'll all remember talking about her, you know, coming into the Norwegian team and kind of just as the player who's like, right, I'm just going to get the ball, run down half the court, jump shoot from 12 meters and score. And clearly that's not the case with, uh, with Esbjerg. And I think that could be a little bit to do with the squad size as well, that they try to manage the attack and, and really take take as much time as possible with it, but also because of the, the players they have. So the focus is going to be very much then the center of it. The backcourt three uh, of, uh, well, four, if you count uh, Michaela Muller, who's kind of a, a wild card in this team, but Christina Breistel at left back, 
Henny Rice at a centre-back and Meta Tramboy at right-back. Uh, they're three really big shooters as well. And the focus is very much on them as opposed to the, the wing players and then the, the three line players they have in there, Frafjord, uh, Ingstad and Camp have all been pretty solid. So it's all about that, that diamond as, uh, as our old friend Tom O'Brannigan used to love to coin, the diamond in the centre of the court. That is going to be the focus for them and you can see why they try to manage the clock then because they try to set up the big shots or the balls into the line. Nothing comes incredibly easy due to the pace of the players because you know, they're fairly fast but they are jump shooters, all of them, at the end of the day. And so that maybe they don't have the, the super speedy uh, like classic Danish centre-back or Norwegian centre-back in the team. So that's maybe why they control that uh, a little bit more. And against Jur, that could be the perfect solution for them because we've seen last season in the semi-final, really low-scoring game. What's the best way to stop one of the most dangerous teams in the world? Give them as few shooting options as possible and, and controlling the clock and attack is a very good way of doing that. Yeah, well, they're number one on the list as well for not turning the ball over. Mm. So like, that's obviously comes hand-in-hand hand with probably having the longest attacks as well. So no easy... No easy lunches. Is that the phrase? No, no, no easy. No free lunches. No free. No free lunches. <laughs> no, no, free <laughs> no free lunches with uh, Team Esberg. And I, I suppose another way of phrasing that. So I think we know what uh, Reichstag can do. We know the impact she's had on this team. We know the impact she had on the final four last year. But the question is, if she has a bad game, do Esberg have enough around her to compensate for that? Yes. <laughs> well, the, player, the players I just mentioned there, I think uh, Brystel, who's been a bit of a revelation this season for them, she's had her growing pains, I think, but Jesper Jensen has really stuck with her well. And uh, Meta Tramborg is, is a brilliant right back as well, who can have a, a great game. So she, uh, Henny Rice doesn't have to shoot. She can be the assist giver. And if things aren't working for her or they need to mix it up, then they have Michaela Muller in there. And they can also play, you know, 7v6 potentially very well with the amount of line players they have at their disposal. So, yeah, I don't think they, they don't need her to score 22 goals like she did with Vipers last year to win this competition or to win the semi-final. They have other tricks up their sleeve. And probably one thing which I noticed being on, uh, on hand at the games uh, during the season was I was really, really impressed with Team Esberg when they came up against... CSM Bucharesti in, in Bu- uh, Bucharest and the, the amount of pressure they were under being in a, an arena like that and how relaxed they remained and they had that really small squad with them as well and it never really seemed to bother them so in terms of like the maybe the occasion getting to them I don't I wouldn't really feed into that narrative either mm. I think they're quite a strong will team and it probably also comes a lot from Jesper himself and mm. um, you can even see in the timehouse how relaxed he remains and I think mentality wise they're they're on the ball yeah mm. So will we move on to the the hosts? Uh, will we call them? <laughs> we can't call them that. <laughs> easy, easy. Careful, <laughs> or Clements is going to do something to your screen. <laughs> well, let's not call them the hosts, but maybe the team that most of the fans in the arena will be supporting, and that is Dior. Um, I think always going into a final four we see Jur as the absolute favourites. They're, they're perennial favourites and a challenge for anyone to overcome 
that's how we look at the Champions League and the final fours is who can actually challenge here this year. Do you get the same feeling uh, this year, Brian? Well, just before I answer that, there was a very good uh, question sent in by, I think, Axel is his name uh, in the comments. If lovely claim is there, we'll just make the screen slightly bigger so I can read it. Uh, thank <laughs> you, Gareth. Uh, Gareth has a lot of depth in their squad, but their attack still seems to be very dependent on Oftedal to play well. When she plays well, the whole team seems to play well, but the opposite also seems to be the case. And I think that's a very, very good point in terms of if you look back at the loss they had in the Hungarian Cup 2 FTC. Stina was playing, but she had her tie wrapped up and didn't score any goals. And I think the attack suffered because of that. And with the absence also then of Carrie Bratzett um, in the attack, who's obviously out with pregnancy, you have that spine right down the middle of Gira, which is maybe a little bit more questionable than it, than it normally is. I mean, we, we could turn around tomorrow now and see Stina playing perfectly far, fine, normal. We don't know really the status on her injury. But if she's anyway hampered by an injury, the team of, as a whole definitely does suffer. And uh, that would be something to take in, tomorrow, in tomorrow's game. Mm. To think about. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, what do you think, Alex? Uh, I agree she is the absolute core of the team. But what's interesting about Dior is how spread out their attack is. While Stina is the most important player to make them play together, they're not very reliant on um, a single player to score goals. So Stina is actually their top scorer score with 59 goals, but that's um, the 29th top scorer in the Champions League this year. Everything else is just completely spread out. Um, so I think that squad depth and that, um, that approach is actually helpful where, you know, they can look to other sides of the court and maybe it will be Ryu at right back who just shows up and scores 10 goals. You know, that those options exist. So I think that that's a real strength for this Jordi. I think a player like Ryu has been a bit of a revelation for a lot of the Gear fans this season playing at right back. And I saw her playing at home in their uh, quarterfinal and she was quite fundamental and came up with some really, really important goals. And it's going to be great to see now, can she do it on the biggest stage? Because those questions are probably yet to be answered. Yeah, I mean, she like internationally, she's been around for quite a while. I mean, she played in Paris before moving to Jura. She's been uh, the star for Korea for a few years. And she's a right back, which is something they haven't really had uh, in a while, actually. Last season, that was one of the big uh, absences for them, was an actual left-handed right back. And, yeah, I mean, there, there are options all over that court. I mean, the, I, I wouldn't be too worried about her performing on this occasion I think she's been through enough to to know what it takes and she's part of a team that know what it takes to to win so even if she doesn't perform on the Saturday there's they have enough to to win the game in the attack one thing but even if the attack is completely dire they have this incredible goalkeeper trio with Amandine Lenoir in her her last actually last season now uh, incredible that she has played in every single women's EHF Final Four with Vardar first and then with Jura. And uh, she hasn't played too much this season. She's kind of been in a, let's say, a behind-the-scenes role. But whenever she does come in and play, uh, she's had a fantastic record. I wouldn't be surprised. He had another swan song, folks. I wouldn't be surprised if she, if she has an amazing <laughs> weekend. And, yeah, I mean, they do, they do have weapons all over the 
the court. I think one thing they can sometimes be found out with is like having a big uh, backcourt jump shooter. I think Rio in that case is, is quite important there because Enzaminko, uh, Christiansen, Metahansen all like to take on players or like to beat players and, and beat them with the speed uh, of the doll, of course, uh, as well. So maybe that is one potential weak point for them there, but even if the attack doesn't really work out, they have also like the goalkeepers, the line players, Lynn Blum and Karina Pintea, who are just are probably, you know, Bratzit is, is out, but they probably have number, I don't know, two of the other top five line players in the world. And um, I mean, just saying all this reminds me of what Jesper Jensen said, like their second team are probably among the best 10 teams in the world. And probably at times their third choice players could be in there as well. So yeah, uh, things, things have to go really badly for them um, and almost perfectly for Esbjerg, I think, but it's happened this season. It happened last season. So it's not as unfathomable as in seasons past. And, and how big of a loss do you truly think that uh, Carrie da- uh, Bratzadali is? And in attack, you've mentioned, yes, they have line player replacements, but I think her real strength is in defence. How big of an impact is that going to have? Well, Alex, I told you not to ask me about defence uh, before this, because I know nothing about defence. I never defended in handball when I played. I should come on and score some goals. Uh, but in attack, I will answer that question. You didn't ask me, but I'll answer it anyway. Uh, going back to Julian Rooks's uh, article from Handballytics, when you look at the numbers, uh, Carrie Bratzett is definitely in top in terms of the numbers in, in the Gear squad. But Lim Bloom and uh, Craig Pintea aren't, aren't a million miles away from them in terms of stats-wise. It's only a few percent behind, so... It, we, we talked earlier about having a stacked squad. Even they're missing their one of their best players. They still have two amazing line players that come in, and you only sometimes only need one of them to perform over the weekend. And Lynn Bloom, we've seen her playing over the years. She's one of one for the big occasions too. We've seen her playing for Sweden when she's outperformed everyone else on her own team. So she's used to kind of stepping up to the big occasions too. Yeah, and they do have good defenders mm-hmm. in other other areas of the court as well. And. Yeah, like I said, even if the attack doesn't really work out, they have the goalkeepers. If the defense doesn't work out, they have the goalkeepers. <laughs> and just kind of to um, complete that point of their squad strength, the All-Star team for the Champions League was announced and Dior had four players in that squad, as well as Ambrose Martin as the coach. So Lynn Blum was the line player, uh, the best line player this season. Steen Aftedal at centre-back. Laura Glauser was the um, goalkeeper elected for the Ulster team, but you know it could have been any of those three goalkeepers to fit in there. And then uh, Bratzadale was the defender. So that just speaks to the just abundance of quality that they have. But again, I'll reverse this and say, okay, if we assume that Sinofdal might not be at her best level, who is the player who's going to take over and bring your over the line in in minute 45 when they're level against Team Eshberg in the final and the semi-final? I think it probably has to be in Zeminko, no? I'd imagine if she doesn't have a good weekend and let's say Stina isn't up, up to task in terms of fitness, I don't know what they're going to do then in that for the centre-back position then. I, I still think in that case, yeah, I can envision Veronica Christiansen and Anna Meta Hansen at centre and left back, True. like yeah. dr- fighting, <laughs> scrapping their way 
through like it'll be dirty, but in a in a good handballing way, you know. And I, and I think uh, for Christiansen as well, it's kind of she's due one of these weekends with the team, mm-hmm. and and her role in the team has really grown through the years. Like remember the first season she was there, she was almost only a defender, yeah. and uh, she's really grown in this team. Anna Meta Hansen has you know, led Denmark to a, a world bronze medal now and has always seemed to step up in whatever position she needs to for during these, uh, these weekends. So, yeah, even if choices one, two, and three don't really come off, they still have players like that who, who could get the job done. Yeah, with a team like you, you always are looking for these holes and then you don't actually yeah. find them. There are holes there. There are, <laughs> ho- there are, there are holes there, of course, but... Uh, it relies on a lot of things not going well. Mm. But I think uh, of all seasons, I, I can see a lot more holes in this gear team. Um, there's some, I think they have the squad strength, but individual positions might not, they're not winning every position against another team, which generally is the case. So I think that makes it more exciting. They will have a uh, big green arena uh, behind them, which uh, is an added benefit. Um, but I think let, let's go into the matchup then. Um, so we, we've talked individually about each team, their strengths, weaknesses, their route to the final four. But let's talk about the game. So the first game of the weekend is at uh, 5.15 uh, Central European time. The first game is... GR versus Team Eschberg. We have the old incumbent, the team that's always there, the team that's always the favorite, versus the newcomers from Denmark. Let who is who are the players that are key um, in this matchup? So when we look at those teams playing against each other, which position from either side might have a, a bigger advantage? I'll let you answer this, Chris. Well, I'm going to focus on, on Esbjerg here and kind of maybe pitch why they could win it. And, and, you know, we talked about the backcourt and the line players being so strong. But I think in order for them to win it, it's going to be the positions where they're not as strong as the opposition that need to work perfectly. And in that case, it is, and Nerea was kind of hesitant to mention it as well, it is the goalkeeper duo because they do have two solid goalkeepers in Dina Eckerla and Rika Poulsen, who at times have produced world-class performances, but not as regularly as, um, as their opponents. It's kind of, kind of the way we talk about Vincent Girard and the men's side. Um, they're capable of it, but don't always produce it. One or both of them, I think, need to have a perfect game. And then the wing players, Sanna Solberg on the left and Marit Rosberg Jakobsen on the right, need to have a perfect game as well because also the shooting from the wings isn't always brilliant. So I think those players are capable of having very good games and if they do, then the backcourt and the line players will be able to uh, do the rest. And we talked about the way they control the game. And so I think it relies on, on every position there and the weaker positions, the goalkeeper and the wing positions to deliver. Alex, would you see Gyura's top favourites going into that? I think, for, for me, uh, I would say they're favourites and quite strong favourites. Um, 
in in a big part because of the physical strain on this Ashbrook team. I think that's a big driver uh, from my perspective. And I think um, Ashbrook don't have many players per position better. So there's Henny Reisad. And I think in every other position, it's Jure that has a, quite a comfortable lead. Um, therefore, uh, I think Jure are quite easy favourites for me. Mm. So we're all going for Gerard then, are we? We're, ris- we're risking that again. Are we not saying that? We say we save that for the end. Okay, we'll save that for the end. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so let's, is there anyone on uh, Gerard's side that um, is going to be the the key difference maker? So we kind of talked about how you know it can be any one player popping up uh, throughout the game. Um, Brian, who do you think will pop up in this game? I mean, there's so many to choose from. But I think I would like to see someone like Rayu have a great weekend. I think that just would be uh, a nice finish to her season. So I think I would like that. But every other position, you could just name a list of gear players yeah. where, you'd, where you'd put down at that. But I would like to see Rayu have a, have a big, a big uh, weekend from right back. I thought, I, we were, she, I thought we were going to have a classic Brian lists every player in the team. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> just the one now. Just the one. <laughs> Rayu. Ryu, yeah. Yun, he, Ryu. Or the other way around. Ryu, Yun, he. There you go. There you go. Yeah. How about you, Alex? Do you have a, a name that strikes? I think Enzaminko for me uh, can just take over games. Uh, I think she's very dynamic. Um, again, if the game is stretched in any way, if Gear managed to speed up the game uh, versus Team Ashberg's slower style, it's going to be Enzaminko to really uh, dominate in that uh, space. So that, that could be uh, the breakout player for me in the semi-final. Good. The other semi-final? Yeah. Yeah, let's move on to the other semi-final. So we have Vipers versus Mets. I will repeat it that Mets have beaten Vipers twice this season and uh, now have Grasadi on top of that. Despite that, Nerea Pena was quite confident going into this kind of final weekend where she pretty much said, you know what, uh, these games don't matter earlier in the season. We will uh, come in and dominate uh, when the time is right. Do you believe that's the case, Chris? Yeah, I think particularly with these players, I think one thing that really plays into their favour is that these players know how to win these competitions. Of course, there's a lot of French players in the Mets team that uh, know how to win international competitions and have against Norwegian players. And Emmanuel Mayanad is a world champion as well with the Netherlands. So they're not like completely hopeless, but they, they had a really bad time in Budapest back in 2019, finishing in last place. So anything is an improvement on that. They do have the recent historical record, but... The likes of Katrina London, Nora Merck, Bella Gulden, just know how to win this competition. They've done it well over and over again in two of their cases, and in Bella Gulden's case, single-handedly back in 2016. And yeah, I think in that case, it's going to be a real. If I'm if I'm allowed to go into like the what the key position is here, it's going to be the centre back in attack. And we talked about Julian Rux and his stats piece earlier. There was a really good one, uh, or a couple of really good ones on Vipers in particular. 
that they're great at forcing turnovers in defense. So they've done 12.6 per 50 attacks, which is a lot mm. as well. And so they have a really strong defense in that sense for turning the ball over. You've got players like Susanna Tamori as well, who has been a, like kind of a, a dark horse in this team, has played such a big part in the defense. And you have Katrina Lunda in, in between the posts as well, who might have an average season, but when it comes to the Final Four, uh, is, is ready to take over the game, as we heard her speak about on the podcast just a few days ago. And so it's going to be the, the, the fact that they managed to cause turnovers, but also turn the ball over quite a lot in attack as well. So I'm really interested in the Grassadi versus Bella Gulden battle, like the, these two centre-backs, the way they control the, the game between the two of them, and which of the two can control the game better. Bella Gulden has seemed to found a n- new level, particularly in those quarterfinals against Krim. She was looking fantastic, the best I've seen her in a couple of seasons. And if she manages to, to control the game in that way and, and manages to, to keep her cool, which she almost always seems to, then they have enough weapons elsewhere to, to get the job done. So it really is, I think, which of those two playmakers, Gulden and Zadi, will perform better on the day. I think people are going to think that Julian Rooks is paying us for this podcast. No, but he mentioned his article. He did, he did an amazing, <laughs> did I do an have an add-on. I do have an add-on point yeah. from his article <laughs> about the Mets team. You were saying that Vipers do force a lot of uh, errors, um, and with Mets, they are one of the, were, were in the earlier group stages were prone to a lot of uh, turnovers themselves. But since Sadi has come in, that number has significantly reduced as well. So there's that aspect to it also. So that's going. To, it's just in terms of pure statistics for all the nerds out there it's going to be f- fantastic to see uh, uh, what what happens because it's a bit of it could be a bit of a chess match mm-hmm. and i'll take the place of the person talking about their feelings yes. and how they feel about the game and i think grassadi is the big difference maker i think she's going to rip apart this viper team gut feeling purely gut feeling mm. um I, I think she will be driven um, from her exit in Rostov um, and uh, really want to prove a point that she made that exit to win the Champions League. And for me, there, there's a bit of drive there. I'm not as confident in Vipers in this one. Do you remember the World Championship final, France against Norway? Not against exactly the same players, but against some of the same players that Grassadi for that second half was completely found out. As was all of that French attack. So, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> not say, it's not impossible, of course. But, yeah, but, but that first half, Grassadi <laughs> was not found out. She was in a lot of comfort there. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> all right. I think what we're, we've, uh, we're knocking on the door here of time. Time is not our friend here, so I don't know how, how we want to wrap this one up. Well, we actually got a comment from Handballytics himself, oh. uh, Julian Brooks, who's been watching. Thanks, Julian. And of course, I love the guys. Who <laughs> uh, thanks for all the mentions. Oh, you're so, welcome. You're welcome, Julian. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Uh, I, I suppose we'll, we have to do predictions, right? Yeah. Uh, there's one question there as well. Did, uh, who was that saying, did Esbjerg bring a left-handed right wing to the final weekend? Can you bring that up, Clements, just so I can see the name? That's uh, Kishan Czech 10. Oh, very good. And yes, they did. Uh, so uh, Marit uh, Rosberg-Jakobsen was on the list, at least on the website. 
and uh, so she is their out and out right wing and then uh, Lena Myers can also play in the wing if necessary but she's more of a defender these I, days look at that is informed that is so informed, Chris. <laughs> I, I, I saw that question and I was thinking, oh, this is a tough one. I, I, I don't know. I, I'll keep quiet. I don't know if we have collectively have an answer for that. But Chris O'Reilly coming in clutch. Um, left-hander is there on the right wing for Eswick. Good. So um, let's uh, talk about predictions. Alex, have you stopped talking because we can't hear you? <laughs> uh, because we've, uh, I think we've lost contact with Alex. You might have to call us again there on the phone. Well, there we go. Live Twitch, everyone. Alex, can you? And we're us? we're back. No, no. Oh. <laughs> no. Hello. Ah, we're back. We're back. Yes. We're back. Well, I think we did pretty well, seeing as that was like a, a good hour and a half uh, of being on the same call until we finally lost you. Uh, so yeah, you just. Uh, have to forgive us for that, but that's what it's all about. Huh? That's what it's all about. We let's want, let's move on and talk one, about predictions. With, with that one big cock up. <laughs> <laughs> predictions, Alex. We didn't hear the rest of what you said, but I think it was more complimenting me, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh, go <laughs> so, predictions. Predictions. Let's start with the first game. Uh, we have Jer against Eshberg. All right. Oh, someone has to go for something silly, but I feel like this won't be my silly pick. I think I'm going to stick with your just for the amount of options that they have. Keep it simple. Mm. Score? Score your plus three. Yeah, I'm going to leave the Danish uh, hype for Alex as he is in Copenhagen at the moment and say your plus two. It's going to be close. Henny Reistad, 15 goals. <laughs> yeah, Team well, Escher win by six. <laughs> no. Going, going against everything you said for the whole podcast. Good, good happen. Good happen. Uh, no, I think it'll take two. I just, I, I'm doubting Henny Reistad here for absolutely no reason. Uh, but I think Jared take it quite comfortably. Uh, plus five. Wow. And pull away in the second half. Matt Vipers. All right, here I'll go for a googly one, and I'll say Vipers have learned their lessons from the past two games, and Vipers for the win. Normark to have an absolute stormer. What do you say, Alex? Mets uh, take it by two. You didn't give us uh, oh, didn't how give many? Us how much uh, oh, one. One goal. Yeah. yeah. I think Vipers as well. I think Vipers mm. will win by... Extra time. How many goals? <laughs> they'll win by. They'll win by extra time. <laughs> they'll win by. They'll win by one after extra time. They have. I like that. They. I think it's likely we see one extra time yeah. uh, in this final. So that sets up uh, for the two of you. That sets up a final between Vipers and Jure. Um Who's who's taking that? <laughs> that's too early for that I suppose it, handball oh, will be the winner you know, we've been talking about yeah, <laughs> we've been talking about these different semi-final matchups but uh, it's interesting how things change mm. going into the final yeah. um, where there's just completely different dynamics that goes into it so we have 
yeah, Vipers versus Jur. Um, let's do a quick one there. What position is the most important between those two teams? Goalkeepers. Go- yeah. Yeah, yeah, goalkeepers I think is probably the most important. And just say, it's, it's funny you say about the dynamics, because we were having the exact same conversation last year, pre-Final Four. It's like, well, you know, if Brest beat Jur, then they'll uh, win the final. Unless they play Vipers in the final, then they'll lose. <laughs> that, that's exactly what happened in the end. Uh, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> For once we were right. Yeah. So goalkeepers, yeah. And the other uh, goalkeeper is the most important. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I, I think well, Jur should win it, but it's a toss-up, lads. It's a toss-up. Goalkeepers will decide. Lunda versus Leno. Classic. No, oh, it's, it's too hard to call. It is too hard, it's too hard to call, isn't it? Sad making a final prediction now. So yeah. no, I don't want to do that, Alex. Don't put me through that again. <laughs> I think we'll leave it there. I'll say Mets, Mets taking it all the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Grazadi oh, wow. lifting the thro- trophy and uh, waving to her friends in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have it there, folks. Esbjerg are going to win the final four this year. That's usually what happens. <laughs> In this case, yeah. so uh, we only can pick three teams. Yeah. So there's always one left over that we always get it wrong on. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's whatever happens this weekend, it's going to be a blast. Uh, anything else to, to leave us with, Alex, before you uh, enjoy the weekend in Copenhagen? You're going to be watching the final, right? I'll, I'll watch every game, watch of course, Chris. Don't, don't diminish my handball watching ability. Yeah. I'll find a way to watch every single game. But, uh, yeah, you're going to be playing beach handball, though, aren't you, tomorrow? <laughs> I'll be playing beach handball, but I do have a VIA play on my phone, oh, which nice. will, uh, will broadcast uh, within that. During the timeouts. <laughs> During the time. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, well, thank you so much, Alex, for only dropping off the line once. That was good going. And uh, I think that was probably <laughs> our fault that that happened. And uh, yeah, you'll be live, as you said, on, uh, on Twitch for most of the weekend when we go to Cologne in a couple of weeks. So yeah, you can uh, get ready for that. We'll be here in Budapest for the rest of the weekend. Brian on social media duty. Yes, what are you, uh, what are you most looking forward to do? Uh, but just getting those classic reactions. I think it's stuff you see on uh, stuff you see on various channels over the next year and over the summer as promotion for next season. So that's always nice to get those really, really special clips. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Good stuff. And I'll be... Uh, any, any special projects you're working on, Brian, over the weekend? Anything for TikTok that's going to get uh, 10 million views? We'll see. We'll see. Just stay tuned to TikTok. <laughs> you might see. There you go. Nice little plug there. And I'll be on EHFTV commentating. And uh, if you're in a country which has TV rights, VPNs are good for that. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> If you want to hear my voice and not someone else's VPNs, definitely not allowed to say that. But look, it's Twitch, isn't it, Clemens? Huh? <laughs> huh? Who cares? It's fine. <laughs> EHFTV.com, your destination for this weekend's final four. Uh, thank you, everyone who watched as well, and all the great comments. It's nice to have you involved, and we'll have more live shows in Cologne. We'll have probably three of them, right? Up to three live shows, at least two, anyway. And uh, thank you for joining and make sure to stay tuned on Twitch for the whole weekend because we'll have a lot more of uh, Nedzat and Anya Althaus as well, bringing coverage from the arena. So uh, fun times and a lot more fun for Clements to do. Hopefully he'll get mentioned a few more times uh, over mm-hmm. the course of the weekend for positive things. 
Any parting words? Uh, and lastly, if lastly, if you have joined at halfway through this uh, uh, video or this live stream and missed Nerea Pena, this conversation and the full podcast uh, will, or the full live stream will go up as a podcast. So follow us um, on Twitter, follow us on Instagram at Handball Hour, and uh, like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Thank goodness we have you here, Alex. Good stuff. <laughs> we almost forgot what we're doing there. <laughs> <laughs> we do a podcast, guys. We're not just live. And we do have one we last comment from a fan here. I think it's, I can barely read it, but uh, it's Tim, our fan. Vipers one. winner, final four. Oh. Vipers winner, final four. There you have his prediction. Thank you very much for that last comment. Good stuff. So that's it. That's all from us. We'll see you next time. Enjoy the final four. Bye-bye.